Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Well, good morning, Grace. Man, it is so good to be together in God's presence, isn't it? You know, we know that He is present everywhere all the time, and yet when we come together in the name of Jesus, we experience Him in a unique way. In fact, I mean, his word even tells us that. Two or three together, together in his name. He is in the midst and he is working. And just as we were declaring those praises, I just, I hope that you were overwhelmed with who he is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is none like him. And as we lift him up and as we exalt him, we find life. We find hope, we find joy, we find truth. And our desire is that as we continue in our worship, we have been worshiping in psalm, but we're going to continue our worship, and it's going to be as we look into the Word of God. We're going to give honor and praise to Him. We're going to hear what He has written and receive the truth that He is speaking to us and just continue that our lives would be worship to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to be here together on this Sunday. And, wow, it's hard to say this, but welcome to August. (laughs) It's August 1st. Is that possible? Oh, my goodness, it goes so quickly. Well, there's something really beautiful connected with August 1st, and today is Pastor Jeff's return from his sabbatical. This was his scheduled time, so... So I want to give you a quick update. Uh, Several of us had the opportunity to spend some time with Pastor Jeff already, and we've been starting this uh, reconnect process. And you know, I just want to let you know, give you the report. I'm so excited for what God has been doing and is doing in Pastor Jeff and Tracy's lives. Uh, God has done an incredible, incredible work. And we're excited to see how uh, what he has done in, in their lives is going to uh, bring fresh life uh, here to us in the body. So you're going to begin to see, uh, be seeing them around campus. So uh, keep your eyes open. It's kind of like, where's Waldo? Uh, you like... <laughs> Um, but you'll get to see them soon, and I'm sure you'll be excited for that. So what is going to happen is that August is going to be a month of listening and discerning. Uh, so Pastor Jeff is going to be listening to what God has been doing here at Grace and, and just taking in what has been happening here. And uh, we're going to be listening to what God has been doing in Pastor Jeff's life in these past six months. And then we're going to be listening to discerning together uh, to hear how God wants to bring convergence of his workings Uh, so that the kingdom of God can continue to grow and expand through Grace Fellowship and York Regional Dream Center. Uh, So we just want to encourage you, continue to pray. You know, our prayer is always that, you know, that the kingdom of God would come here to Shrewsbury and be here in Shrewsbury in this region, even as it is in heaven. Uh, So we are excited uh, for this new season that we're entering into. And we're excited for what God has for us today. Uh, The teaching that we're going to be looking at is... um, uh, ties very closely to what we've just been declaring, uh, that Jesus is king and he is over all. And what we're going to be seeing, though, is something that we see throughout Scripture and we've been seeing through John a lot, is that God often, very often, works in ways differently than what we want him to work. How dare he? (laughs) But we see that those different ways that he works are for our good and for his glory. And we're going to see again today that, that um, in this passage that God is working in a very, very different way than what the people of that moment perceive. And as I was thinking about this, um, I was taken back to the story uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have the anointing of David to be king of Israel by the prophet Saul. Now, if you go back about eight chapters prior to that, Israel had one king who was the Lord. And they said, he's not good enough. He didn't, they didn't say it that way. But that's basically what they were saying. It's like, they looked around, it's like, we want a king like everybody else has. And warning came to them, this is what having a king is gonna look like. And uh, they said, okay, we want a king. So 
Uh, Samuel was led, the prophet Samuel was led to anoint Saul as king, and he was like the perfect king according to man's eyes, right? Like he was just his appearance, his height, he stood out, and, and he started out to be a good king. Um, but as he continued in, in being king, there were things that entered into his life that were very destructive. He became rebellion, rebellious, he became arrogant. He was disobedient to the Lord, and God said, okay, um, it's time for a new king. So Samuel's called to anoint a new king, and he's led to the house of Jesse, and he says, Jesse, bring your sons together. So the sons are brought together, and uh, he said, okay, bring me your first son. First son, Eliab, Eliab comes, and Eliab is like, again, he's, his appearance, wow, yeah, Samuel's thinking, this is the guy, this is him, and it's amazing what God speaks. God's ways are so different. God said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the process continued. Seven sons were brought past Samuel, and God didn't pick any of them. And Samuel goes, any more? Oh, yeah, David. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel said, don't sit down, stand. We're gonna remain here until he comes. And when David came, Samuel knew this is the king. He is the king that is to be anointed. And he was anointed to be king. It was quite a time until he stepped into that role. But he was anointed that day, much different pick than what man would have picked. But God picked him. And his kingship still is given honor. In fact, it's through him, through the line of David, that Jesus comes into the earth. And it is his kingdom, kingship through Jesus that rules forever. So this lowly shepherd becomes a king. And, and when you read his life, he wasn't perfect. He had a lot of mistakes, he had a lot of warts, but he was a man after God's own heart and God knew it. So God's ways so many times are different than our ways. The heavens are higher than the earth, so it's his, his ways and our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. So I want you to think just in your life, where or some moments that you can look back and it's like, man, that is not what I wanted to happen. But yet you can see God stepping in and doing the miraculous, not in the way that you wanted, but in a way that was far better than what you could imagine. We're gonna talk about that. There's a lot of pain in that, but there's a beauty that goes beyond what we can comprehend. So today, uh, this passage that we're going to study together, it's shouting this truth that God does things in ways that are far greater than what we can imagine. Will we trust him? Will we yield to him? Will we allow him to have his way? So I'm going to ask if we've, we've already sung and we've prayed, but I'm going to ask if we would pray once again. And, and I just ask you to, to, to set your prayer um, to surrender. Just say, God, you know, and again, sometimes we offer this. If you feel so led, you can just maybe open your hands before God as we pray. And, but as I pray, I'm asking you to pray and speak to the Father and just invite him uh, to speak to you and do the work in your life that he desires to do. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, that you are God and that there is none like you. God, we have been worshiping you and we continue to worship you and we want to worship you in our hearing of the word. And we want to worship you in our obedience to the word. So God, I thank you that you have called each one of us here, God, whether we realize it's your divine act or not, you have brought each one of us here, uh, both those that are in person here in this worship center and on this hill and those that are joining online, you have brought each one of us to this place. And God, we want what you want. Help us, Lord. And God, to desire your best, to see things as you see them, to discover life as you have created it to be. And God, I thank you that your spirit is powerful enough to work individually and personally in every one of our lives. God, that you know where we're at. You know exactly every detail of each one of our lives and you're with us and you're desiring to meet us where we are and lead us to greater, greater things in you. Uh, so God, we just ask, Lord, have your way. God, do what you desire. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be lifted up. We want you to be declared to be the king that you are. So King, rule and reign in this place today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So last week, I don't know if you've really been tracking the you know, like big picture of Jesus' life, but yet last week as we've been walking through this uh, journey through John, we entered the last week of Jesus' life. 
before the crucifixion. We're in this last week. We're only in chapter 12, but the whole rest of John, 12 through 21, is in this last week of Jesus' life here on earth. In chapter 11, uh, the seventh miraculous sign had been performed where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And that appears to be the tipping point that's really going to open the door wide for Jesus to be crucified. So the exact time of when Lazarus was resurrected, as far as in regards to the time that we're looking at today, we don't know exactly how long it's been. Uh, some scholars believe that maybe it was a few months ago that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Some people believe that it was only a, f- a couple weeks prior to this moment. But again, Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and it is that tipping point. It's that major thing that's going to move things forward toward Jesus' death. And following Lazarus being raised from the dead, the religious leaders met, and it says that from that day, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Now, they had wanted to kill him earlier, denied it, but they had, they had wanted to kill him earlier, but like now plans are, plans are being set. We've got to do it. We've got to do it soon. So we see that that's what's happening. So last week, at the beginning of, of John chapter 12, um, we learned that it's six days before the Passover. Okay, so now we have very, very defined times as we're walking through these last few days. That six days before the Passover, when Jesus would die on the cross, and Mary anointed Jesus' feet in preparation for his burial. And um, Pastor Ben led us through this, this passage, and through this anointing of Jesus' feet, we learned uh, things that, that Jesus, in Jesus that we're called as a community to do. And the three things that, that were shared are, are these three things, that we are to practice faith together that we're to be practicing faith together as a community in Jesus, that we're to be sacrificing together as a community in Jesus, and that we are, be, are being called to make an impact together as a community in Jesus. And I just want to celebrate, there were some people last week that were listening online and were called to deeper community and literally responded that morning. Yeah. It's exciting, that's exciting. And I hope that there are testimonies across this place because we were all called to deeper community, whether it was that invitation to, to move from, uh, from just being virtual to being in community here or other places with other believers. That's a step forward. But we were all called to move into deeper community in this week and not just in this past week, but continuing because you know what? As time goes on, <laughs> things are getting worse in our culture and we need each other more. We need to come together, not to be exclusive, but in order to come together that we can be effective so that we can build each other up. And, and you know, I love this because, again, I meet with pastors uh, from this area every Wednesday. 12.30, we gather together. And, and you know, one of the key things that we see, we're there to support one another, to lift one another up, but we're also there to provoke one another, to, to love and to good deeds. We're there to spur one another on, to push one another on. And whenever we come together as believers, we are called to that very thing, that we are better together, that we are stronger when we come together. So in community, God is desiring to do amazing things, and, and we can testify to many amazing things that he has done in and through community, and there's more to come. Uh, Pastor Jeff has often said, we're just getting started. <laughs> God has so much more. He really does. He's a big God. So again, in community, these things are things that we are called to do together. So I'm going to read the last uh, few verses from last week's text. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 9 says this, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made, made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now this is man's wisdom, Okay. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, so they say, okay, well, let's kill him. <laughs> but you know what? We don't make a lot of sense when we're driven by our own wisdom, by our own, own desires. So we can laugh at what the Jewish leaders were planning, but yet we do some pretty ridiculous things too when we're relying on our own wisdom instead of trusting in God. So the text today is gonna begin by defining the time. That, that said again, uh, last week it was six days before the Passover, it, this text that, we, that we're going to be looking at today says the next day, so we're closing in. Five days before the Passover. It's the countdown. And then before the, pa- the passage ends today, we're actually going to move into the fourth day. Um, but what we're going to be doing is looking at the, uh, at the text 
in two sections. And this is the way in the ESV, for those that, again, are using the, um, the journals, or if you're reading the ESV, this is the way the, the sections are divided. This, again, is not divine division, okay? But this is, as scholars have uh, grouped scriptures together, sometimes they put headings on them, and this is the way it's listed in the two sections uh, in, in the ESV. Uh, the first section is a triumphal entry, and the second section is some Greeks seek Jesus. What I'm gonna be doing is, is simplifying the titles a little bit. The first section we're gonna be looking at is my king, this first group of, of scriptures is my king. The second group is his way. My king, his way. And we're just gonna be walking through the passages and, and just as, as we're unpacking this, um, this is again kind of the, the headings that I'm putting over the, the two passages that we're, we'll be studying. So the first passage we're gonna look at is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. This is my king. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Scripture says this, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So he took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So we're gonna be looking again at this, at this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this is on the church calendar is, is known as Palm Sunday. Uh, in fact, on Palm Sunday, we did briefly at the end of the service, look at this passage and, uh, and we talked about it a, a little bit. But this is Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry. And this, as we said, was, was happening just five days before he was going to give his life on the cross. So I want you to understand that, like, how bold this was. Uh, in, in worship and in, in song today, it, several times, there was, uh, there's just been this morning, this, this boldness of uh, this proclamation. Uh, through this morning, I've just sensed this. But I want to look at how bold this is that Jesus did. Jesus knew, I mean, he had told them along, the religious leaders a long time ago, you, you want to kill me. Jesus was very aware of their intention. So instead of slipping into Jerusalem, Jesus comes in on a donkey I mean, think about this. Like, this is extremely courageous. Extremely courageous. So, so what he is doing, he is entering in, and he's doing this in response to what the crowd is doing, but, but yet he, he knew it was gonna happen. So you can look at this passage, and, um, and the triumphal entry is, is recorded in all four Gospels. So in the three synoptic Gospels, there are other details that are given, given that it wasn't this, this wasn't just something that happened to Jesus. Jesus orchestrated for it to happen. He sent his disciples to get this donkey. I mean, he was, he was moving in God's perfect will. And his perfect will seemed like, yeah, I mean, really. But, but listen to what is happening. It says that the crowd went out to meet him and they were shouting these words. What were they shouting? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. What a proclamation. What they were shouting is what was recorded in Psalm 118. And when they're saying Hosanna, that means save us. Think of who, of who they were at that moment. They were an oppressed people. They were God's chosen people, called apart, set apart unto God, and they were under Roman, Roman rule. You know, there's no place that they could go that they didn't feel Roman pressure. There was a taxation, there was the, the, the rule. It was the compelling that a soldier could just come up to you at any moment and say, carry my pack for a mile, and you had to do it. I mean, they were people who were living under oppression. They're seeing Jesus come, and they're drawn to him because he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and they're thinking, if he has power over death, he surely must be the one that has the power to deliver us from these Romans. Good logic, it really is. And they're declaring, save us, save us. Blessed is he who comes. You're from God. Blessed be you, king of Israel. But they were seeing things the way they wanted them to be instead of the way they truly were. 
See, when Jesus, again, when he came into, into Jerusalem on the donkey, that was, a, a, that was declaring something very loudly. And yet, you, have you ever had something like it's right in front of you, but you don't see it? Okay, any guy that goes to the refrigerator, you know, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Where is it? Well, yeah, it's right there. I don't see it. Well, I mean, this is kind of like the refrigerator for the Jews, you know? Um, <laughs> because they open the door, and, and right before them is Jesus riding on a donkey. They know what that means, but they don't want to see it. The donkey was a representation of peace. It was a king who comes in peace. They were thinking king of, of war. They wanted somebody to rise up and to fight against the Romans and to defeat their enemy. But Jesus was making a clear declaration, proclamation, no, I'm entering on a donkey. But, and, don't say but, and in addition to this, Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, where it, it, clearly, it clearly declares, um, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's so clear, it's right before them, but yet they can't see it because they want what they want. And please don't get me wrong, I am not throwing stones at the Jews because we are so much like them. We want what we want. And even when God shows up, so many times we want him to do what we want him to do. So I'm not throwing stones at us either. But what we need to do is be saying, Holy Spirit, just as we said in the prayer, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us what is clearly you before us so that we will respond to who you are instead of who we want you to be. And those are hard things to say because these are life impacting. I mean, this was life impacting for the Jews, whether or not they were gonna be living under continued oppression or not. So the, the people are shouting, they're proclaiming uh, Jesus was their king, they're filled with joy, they're believing that their lives are gonna be changed, they're believing that they're gonna have freedom, and all those things are true but in a different way than what they realized. There is joy in the Lord beyond any other joy. And there is change in life that can only happen in Christ. And there is freedom, there is freedom that can only be found in Him. Amen. And yet it looks so different than what we can often perceive within our human minds. And what's amazing is that Jesus, if you go back to John chapter six, he fed the 5,000, we know it was many more than 5,000, but he said he fed the 5,000 and said at that moment, they wanted to make him king by force and he didn't allow it to happen. But in John chapter 12, they're declaring him king and, he's, and he says, okay, let this be, let it happen. Now, again, he wasn't going to move into king the way they wanted, but he, but he was, knew that this was, this was God's will being played out. He was walking in God's plan, and he was coming not as king of rebellion and insurrection against the Romans. He was coming as king of peace. And in the day of our oppression, and in the day where we are overwhelmed and when things are coming against us, don't we need a king of peace? He is that king of peace. And he is riding, and he wants to ride right into the middle of your life and your situation today. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the disciples understanding what happened on Palm Sunday came only, Scripture says, only after Jesus was glorified. So there are others that are looking on. So we have those that had been there for the raising of Lazarus from the dead. We have those that are, have come into uh, Jerusalem for the Passover. In fact, some estimates say that there may have been several million people in that area for the Passover. Some records say that, that uh, in one given, given Passover that there were over a quarter million lambs that were slain and sacrificed. Think about that. And that there was one lamb for uh, uh, like 10 people. I'm not sure exactly how to figure it out, but they estimated that it could have been several million people. This is a huge crowd. And we don't know that all of them were in this parade, but there were a lot. And I want you to remember who was looking on. The Romans were seeing this. And the Romans rule, okay? This is their territory. So they're looking on, and I'm sure that, that, that it got their attention, you know, what's gonna happen? Because this is a prime time for insurrection. There's a, this is a prime time. When you have a crowd moving with such an enthusiasm, it's mob mentality, uh, the Romans are gonna be watching. It's like, okay, let's keep a check on this. 
But there's probably something about them that was kind of pretty smug and just, this is funny. Seriously. Like, they knew what military victory looked like. They knew that when, when a victor comes into town for a parade, you're on a horse, not a donkey. I mean, just like that, literally. I mean, that was the culture of that time. In their parades, the Roman parades, uh, for a military general who had, had been victorious and had killed 5,000 people or more, they were given the ticker tape parade of the day. And the Roman parade was you're paraded in and you're bringing your captives with you. You have the leaders with you. And you're gonna parade right into the arena and let beast play with them. I mean, that's the power of the day. Literally, that's the way the Roman parade works. So again, it's a good chance that some of those Romans were sitting back and it's like, stupid Jews. Literally. But they were all wrong. They were all wrong. Something so much greater was happening. This parade is a tool that's God, that God is using to bring about his plan. His raising of Lazarus from the dead, that again kind of tips the scale and initiates the crowd's praises and declarations. This is all according to God's plan. This is not taking him by surprise. He's using the things that man is doing in order to accomplish his purposes. And the thread through this whole thing, even though we don't see it at this moment, is death. Because while Jesus is entering, again, to the shouts of the people on Sunday, within a few days, the shouts of the people are gonna turn and those shouts are gonna say, crucify him. And then the Roman is saying, why? And they're saying, crucify him. There's a thread of death through this whole thing because Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the one, the only one, that can take away the sin of the world. And the Lamb of God has entered Jerusalem. So on Palm Sunday, we had taken, I didn't bring it, I should have. Some, some of you may have actually done this, you may still have it, but we took uh, a branch of the palm and then you were given instructions of how you can form a cross out of that because as the, as the, the Jews were waving the, the palm branches, which meant victory, Jesus said, this is victory. And it led him right to the cross. And that's truly where we find life. So in the second part of this passage, we have a response of the Pharisees where they're saying this, an incredible statement. He's saying like, what is this? They said to one another, I was just picturing this, this last verse of this, of this section. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So just imagine the Pharisees standing in a little group and it's like, see, you're gaining nothing. And the other one's saying, see, you're gaining nothing. You know what I mean? Like, like it's just... There's this frustration. Like, we want to take him out, and what do we do now? The crowd of popular opinion is against us. And they make this exaggerated statement, which is also prophetic. It's obviously not the whole world. But there were people from all around the world, we're going to see that in just a minute, that are part of that crowd. And the reality is what Jesus is going to do is going to affect the whole world. There was this exaggeration, but yet it was an understatement. It was far beyond what they could comprehend. So the question is, will I receive Jesus as the king that I want him to be, or will I receive him as the king that he is? The Jews wanted him to be a certain king, and he's saying, I'm not that king. I'm much greater. I'm not a king to rule the temporal, the nations of the world. I'm the king over all creation. I'm the king that, that can bring a rule and a reign to your life that will give you joy, will give you freedom, will give you life beyond what you can comprehend. So will I receive him as the king that I want or will I receive him as the king that he truly is? Jesus allowed the, pu the public opinion that was wrong to be shouted, even though it was wrong. And today, the same thing can happen. Today, Jesus can still be declared to be a king much different than the king that he is. He can be declared to be the king that guarantees riches in this life. He can be the king that is declared to keep you from all harm that, that that you won't go through suffering in this life. He can be, be declared to be the king 
who will make life easy. It's not the king that he is. He is so much greater. He is so much greater. And that's what, when we move in this next passage, we're going to see how he shows us the king that he is. He shows us that, that the king that he is is so much greater than this, and then he invites us into his kingdom. He invites us into his rule and into his reign. So now let's look at the second section where we're going to look at his way. That first section is my king, declaration Jesus is king. There is none like him. It's true, and yet he's so different from what mankind can often embrace. So the passage says this, beginning with, with verse 20 of John chapter 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Uh, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So in this passage, we're now, um, <clears throat> we're now in the, into the next day. So we had said about, again, the anointing, if you think about, think about six days before the Passover, uh, it's the anointing of Jesus' feet. The next day is Palm Sunday. Now, in between verses 19 and 20, we have another day. In the other Gospels, when we look at it, uh, we know that after the triumphal entry, uh, Jesus, Jesus leaves Jerusalem, then he goes back in on Monday, on the next day, and he clears the temple again of the money changers. It's also in that time that he curses the fig tree. So again, as we're tracking through Holy Week, we're, we've literally, we've gone two days in this passage. Uh, so Jesus, if you remember, at the beginning of his, of his public ministry, he went in and he cleared the temple. Uh, he, he drove out the money changers. He does it again here, right before his death. So this is what's happening uh, at this point. And this passage says that some Greeks um, came wanting to see Jesus. So these Greeks, we, we don't know much about them except they, they were Gentiles. And um, some, some people's interpretation of the passage says that, that it's possible that they weren't just on a curiosity trip, but it's possible that they had regularly come to the Passover. But they had heard, I mean, you think about the way news traveled then. Everything was by word of mouth. But they had heard about Jesus and they said, we wanna see Jesus. So they come to one of the disciples. It says again that, that they came to Philip. And then they said, sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew. Now, if you remember back uh, in two other places in this, uh, in this gospel, in the gospel of John, we have, we have um, Andrew, we don't know much about him, but we know that he's a bringer. He's one who brings people to Jesus. He brought his brother to Jesus. He brought the boy with the, the loaves and fishes to Jesus. And here, um, I guess Philip kind of knew Andrew. Andrew, you're gonna bring people to Jesus. Here's some, here's some Greeks, they wanna see Jesus. So this, this account goes on to, to this. It says that Andrew and Philip went to Jesus. They shared this request. And then we don't know if the Greeks ever got to see him. I don't know. Because what, he, what happens, it says, again, Philip, in, in verse um, 20, 22, uh, it says, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, in 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So whether or not the Jews got to meet with Jesus, their request prompted some statements that are for all mankind. What Jesus said, says here is not just for the Greeks, it's not just for the disciples, but it's for all people of all nations of all time. And he's saying that now is the time. His response is the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In the parade yesterday, that was not my, the glorification I'm talking about. The glorification he's talking about is his death. That he is about to go to the cross 
And his death and resurrection will be his glorification, okay? So we have in response to these Greeks reaching out to Jesus, we have a, a, a Jesus sharing some things that are so key for all of us. And let's look at, at what he says. So we're going to see, again, of how his glory is manifested in the cross. So Jesus is gonna describe his way and call us to walk as he walks. So he's gonna, first of all, again, set the example, be the one who fulfills what he's teaching, and then say, you come with me. So what he does in this next verse He's showing that Jesus' way, his way, is through death to life. Can we just skip to life? Really? (laughs) That would be better, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yes, in our minds. But Father knows best. And Jesus is saying, my way is through death to life. Now he gives, in this verse, he makes this statement, truly, truly. We've seen this probably like 17 or 18 times in John where Jesus makes the statement, truly, truly. And what he's saying when he says this, we've said it before, is that it's like saying amen before he speaks. Amen is so be it. He's saying, I am the author of truth and you listen closely to what I'm gonna say right now. This is super, super important. Everything I say is important, but truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This single verse, many scholars consider a short parable because Jesus is taking something that is in the physical world and he's using it to help explain something spiritual. And what he is explaining is deeply, deeply profound. So, as I was preparing for this message, I got into uh, some study of science, and I want you to watch this short video. This video um, is of a, the miracle of a seed dying and a plant coming to life. So it's uh, time-lapse photography, so we're able to witness in moments a process that happens um, over days, and you'll actually see that in the video. So uh, if I could direct your attention to the screens. Is that miraculous or what? Now the video continues um, till it becomes a huge street. No, it's, uh, <laughs> um, I think we went up to day 14, it goes like through day 24, but it's absolutely beautiful to watch creation at work. So Jesus didn't have time-lapse photography. He was 2000 years before, but he knew what happened with a seed. He created it. And I want you to listen to Genesis 1.11. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. This was the third day of creation where Jesus is actively participating in creating this. He knew what happened with the seed. So what happens with a seed? If you are a biology expert and I'm wrong, please correct me after the service, but I did some research, I'm gonna try and be accurate. Within a seed is an embryo. And within that embryo is the DNA, like all that that seed needs to know to become a plant. So it's an embryo within a seed. Then the outer part that is around that is called the endosperm. And it's the outer shell that that is around it. So what happens uh, if the seed is just a seed by itself, Nothing happens. Sitting on a shelf, in a bag, whatever. Nothing's gonna happen. It needs to be placed in the ground and there's certain exterior uh, things that have to work on that seed. So one of the key things is that that, that, that outer shell needs to be invited. It needs to be saturated with water. Not too much, but it it needs a water supply. It needs to get oxygen. It needs to be at the right temperature. So what happens is that when these conditions exist, when the seed goes into the ground, that endosperm, the outer part of the seed, is absorbing water, getting oxygen, when at the right temperature, the sh- complex sugars in the outer part of the seed are, are 
converted to a simple sugar and begins to provide nutrients to the embryo. So all the potential is there, but it needs the right things to happen in order for that embryo to start to grow. When that embryo starts to grow, that's where we saw the, the root starting to kick out first because that root then is gonna, gonna start going down into the soil and it's going to absorb what it needs from the soil. And as that root grows and it begins to take root, then a sprout starts to come up. And we see that, that then it breaks through the, uh, the soil. And then it's receiving the light, it's receiving the other nutrients and all these things are happening. But I want you to remember, it was a seed. It was a seed. And there was a dying process that that outer part needed to die in order for that inner part to find life. And what happens, now that was a bean seed. So what happens though is that as that seed grows, it becomes a plant that then has more seeds, right? Like there's, there's fruit, there's, there's something that comes that is produced from the life of that plant. And part of it is more seeds. So, you know, when Jesus is saying, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is it. Like he's saying, this is what happens in nature and this is what you're about to see happen in me. Jesus, the divine seed, is about to die. No one took his life from him, he laid it down. But Jesus, the divine seed, is about to die and he's going to be placed in the ground. And what happens is that when that seed dies, it bears much fruit. We are part of that fruit of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That fruit from his life goes far beyond what our eyes can see, but there will be a day when we will see. There will be a day when all who are alive in Christ are together, and that starts an eternity with him forever. But the process, Jesus' way, is through death to life. Now many of us have been touched deeply by death. And some of these words are even hard to hear. What Jesus described is simple, it is not easy. The dying process is painful beyond what words can say. But we live in this broken world. And unfortunately, when death entered, we came under the curse. God not only had the solution, God was and is the solution. And where he has gone before us, where he has chosen to take on the sin of the world, he who was perfect, who knew no sin, became sin for us, so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. He took on death and said, it's through death that you find life. May not be the king that we want, He's the king that we need. And when we see that he is the king that we need, truly, he becomes the king that we want. So this whole process is God showing what's happening in the physical realm to help us to understand what's happening in the spiritual realm. As I was reading this, I, like, I got so excited because when, when I thought about that outer shell dying in order so that the inner can find life, I realize that what it's the work of water and of oxygen. What are some symbols of the Holy Spirit? Water, the breath of God, working on this outer person so that this outer person dies and the inner man comes to life. God is so good. He is revealing himself in so many beautiful ways. So again, he's clearly describing what is about to happen in his life and actually what he has been modeling his whole life. This isn't just something that Jesus started. This is something that he was living his entire life of dying to self so that, that God can live, of setting self aside so that God could be glorified. So again, he's not just giving an explanation about himself. He's leading us to life for us. He's showing us that my way is through death to life. Death is a passage, it's not a dwelling. It's through death to life. This invitation sounds horrific, but it's so beautiful. Jesus' invitation is come and die. 
we have two options. We can be the seed who simply sits on the shelf and nothing comes of it except in time that seed loses potential for life. There's a shelf life to a seed. We can be that seed who abides alone or we can, we can respond to Jesus' invitation to come and die and we can be that seed who is planted in the ground and goes through that dying process that the outer, the old man dies and the spirit man comes to life and we can be that seed that produces, experiences life, is transformed, that seed no longer lives, it's now a plant and that plant then brings forth fruit and many seeds. It's, those are our two options. What will the time lapse of our lives look like? Will we be like what we watched? The seed that will allow itself to go into that dark place, to be planted in the soil, to go through that dying process, but bring forth fruit. The decision is up to us, and it's a daily decision. We've said this over and over again. Salvation is not just a moment, it's a lifetime. It's a daily decision. Paul said, I die daily. He said that in the midst of defending the resurrection. <laughs> I die daily. I face death every day. And you know what? We need to die daily to ourselves. As long as we're here, we still have this outer shell of the seed <laughs> that needs the penetration of the Holy Spirit in order to die to self that he may live. So the, uh, the next verse unpacks a little bit more about what this death process looks like in our lives. The verse says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And this is telling us that Jesus' way is from the temporal life to the eternal. Now Paul said, whatever I can see, it's gonna pass away. But what's eternal is what is unseen. So what is going to be the focus of my life? And Jesus becomes very, very practical here. And he says words that are hard to understand. So, so as I explain this, please understand this. We can try to, we can try to explain truths in the Bible in ways that may soften their impact. That's not the desire. We want to make sure that we're receiving the truth that is in this scripture. So I've really, of, of this entire message, this is what I struggle with the most, um, of Jesus saying this, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does it mean to hate our lives? So a long time ago, I had a friend that every so often would come to me and literally would sit in front, I can still picture today, uh, she would sit in front of me and said, I hate my life. <laughs> and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but yet it was like, man, what's going on just totally stinks. I, I hate my life. And I mean, fortunately, she said it in a way that was, it was humorous, but yet there were tinges of truth in it that there are times that we can hate our lives. Like, the situations of our lives can be really, really, really bad. And we may say, I hate my life. And then we can point to scriptures, Jesus told me to. <laughs> No, okay, let's unpack this, okay? So in, in Hebrew writings, in, in Hebrew scripture, love and hate are often used as comparative terms, okay? So often when we think of hate, we think of emotionally detesting, okay? And, and that, that can be part of hate, it is part of hate, okay? But again, in scripture, often love and hate are used as comparative terms, one compared to another. So I went back to this verse in Luke chapter uh, 14. This is earlier in Jesus' ministry. He said this, Luke 14, verses 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what Jesus is saying here in, on Monday of Holy Week, he's already said, but like when we look at what he said, said there, again, we look at scripture in the whole and in the context. Because it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's saying again, if, if he do not hate my, your, your father and mother, he's not telling him to despise, to detest, because he also 
affirms that we are to follow the commandment that says honor your father and mother. You know, Paul later in his writing would say that husbands are to lay down their lives for their wife. So how does that fit in with the love-hate? And it becomes, when you look at it from a comparative sense, that in comparison to our love for God, our greatest love on earth should seem as hatred. Does that, does that make sense? That, that, that we love God so much that every other love in life is so much less. Now what happens is that I, as I love God more, again, this is counterintuitive to our human logic, but this is divine truth. As I love God more, it actually gives me the ability to love my family more. But comparatively, the love for God is so much greater that this would even seem as hatred. I mean, this is really getting it right. It truly is. But please do not take from this that you're to hate and despise and detest your family members and your own life. That's not what Jesus is saying, okay? But in comparison to our love for God, every other love of life is to be so much less. So what do we do about this temporal life? We need to live. We need to have food. We need to have shelter. So it's not that we're called to stop living this temporal life. We need to live here. Jesus, for 30 years, lived in the way that many of us live. Doing a trade, doing a job, the day in and day out. So it's not that we're to avoid this temporal. We need to live in it. We're in the world, but we're called to not be of the world. So that our affections, our true love, is not of this life. Now, can we love things in life? Absolutely. There are things that, that are, are wholesome, that are good joys, that are good pleasures, good relationships and family and friends in the body of Christ. But is this world my primary attraction? Do I hate this world, this temporal, and love what is eternal? Does that make sense? Like, again, and as I'm sharing this, I'm still wrestling because Again, I don't want to minimize what Jesus said and I don't want to misunderstand what he said because he took care of things in this life. He cared for himself. Again, Scripture says no man ever hated his own body. He cares for it. He nurtures it. You're here this morning because you've taken care of yourself. You've fed yourself. You've rested. You've done what you've needed to do. That's proper. But if this becomes what I live for, if this temporary around me becomes what I've lived for, I haven't died. I'm missing the life that God has for me. Where are we laying up our treasures? It's a good measure for do we love this life or do we love the eternal life? So, didn't know till this moment whether or not I would share it. I'm gonna share this. I had a very challenging week about 20 years ago. Okay, that's a bizarre way to start a story. Um, but the idea and the principle of this passage personally hit home with me very deep about 20 years ago. I was um, leading a team of youth, and we were joining with other youth ministries um, to impact the city of York. We were doing a week-long outreach called Tra Chain Reaction, which was led by Matt Stevens. And we literally went to a church in York and camped out there for a week. And our whole goal was to, uh, is to be part of a chain reaction, to allow God to minister through us as leaders and students uh, to impact a community that would then just, uh, again, would continue to ripple out. It's, it's dying to self so that others, you know, fruit can happen. Well, the first night there, I think it was a Sunday night, we had a service, and it's the most bizarre thing that ever happened. I can't explain a lot of it, I can just tell you what happened. But during that service, at some point, I had a vision and, and I've never had anything like this before. I've never experienced anything like this. But I had this very, very clear vision of me being in a park in York. And I knew exactly where that park was. I knew exactly where we were at in that park. And, and so uh, this picture that I had so clearly in my mind, like, I mean, it was as clear as if we were watching the video. But what I saw when I was in that park is that I was shot. A person shot me. And I knew that it was a fatal wound. That's a great way to start a week of outreach. That's why. <laughs> but I, I had this vision. I didn't understand it. And like, so I talked to Matt. He's the only person I talked to about it. It's like, Matt, I don't know what to do with this. And he said, I don't have a clue. I don't know. So um, 
so what makes it more challenging is this, is that our process in this week is that each morning we would have devotions, we had a quiet time. We would sit with the students that we were working with. We had a certain team that we were with all week. We'd sit at a table and pray together and then just say, God, where do you want to lead us today? What do you want us to do? Uh, for the team that I was with, one day we ended up on South Pine Street picking up trash, just walking down the streets and had some neat opportunities to talk to people in the process. I still remember it was 20 years ago, and one gentleman that we talked to. Uh, one day we ended up prayer walking in a school. Um, so, so whatever the team decided was what we were gonna do that day. And when I was sitting at the table, nobody knew this, but when I was sitting at that table, it's like, God, please help them not to say that park. <laughs> like, literally, I mean, it was because I had a choice I needed to make. Was I willing to lose my life for the eternal? And it, literally, it was that real to me. I mean, the vision was so clear that I really through the week, I was like, man, should I just take some time and write some letters to my wife and my kids? I mean, Joshua was like two and Allie was early elementary school. It was that real. It's like, I really thought that me fulfilling God's call for my life that week may mean I never see my family again. It was, it was a lot happening inside of me that week. But it was this very thing. It's like, am I gonna love this life or am I willing to lose this life for the sake of the kingdom? We didn't go to the park, I'm here. And I was very thankful, but yet I believe I was willing to go. Never experienced anything like that again. But you and I are left with that same decision every day. Do I wanna hold on to this life or am I willing to lose it for the sake of the kingdom? What do I love most? This life being spent for the glory of God is our greatest joy. To where we find freedom. And I wanna tell you that like living that week, it was not a morbid week. It was not where death was hovering over me. It was that where priorities were clearly before me. And that's the way we need to live. With his priorities before us so that we will love the eternal more than the temporal. Like I said, I. I didn't have a vision this morning, thank God. But I have conviction. In fact, I have conviction every day that where the Spirit's speaking to me and saying, Mark, how are you investing your time? Are you displaying a love for here, for the temporal? Or are you more concerned about the eternal? Mark, how are you spending your time? What are you doing with your resources? I've entrusted things to you. They're not yours, they're mine, but they're entrusted, you're a steward. How you manage and steward what I've placed in your hands. Are you loving this life? Or are you loving the eternal? Guys, I'm not saying this to throw condemnation. I'm, I'm inviting us into the life that Jesus has called us to. It's incredible. Just the part that I've tasted is incredible. I know there's so much more. There is so much more for us. But the process, it's through death to life. It's from the temporal and focusing on the eternal. And then Jesus leads us into this third part, this last verse. It's about serving. Jesus' way is serving where Jesus is. Jesus' way is serving where Jesus is. He said this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And when this is talking about the following, I think it goes back to uh, you know what we talked about and some of us memorized from uh, John chapter 10 verse 27 that, that Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They, they hear what I'm saying. I know them. I have this relationship with them. There's this mutual love and they follow me. I believe that, that that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's just it's going where he's going. Well, well Jesus is everywhere so wherever I go I'm covered, right? Yeah. Not really. I mean, yes, he's there, don't get me wrong. And God can take us even when we take wrong steps and he can show up there and do things that are for the eternal. But yet where we truly find life and we find life to the full is where we're saying, Jesus, I see you going there. I wanna follow you. I wanna go where you are. So that, and that becomes unique for each one of us. It becomes corporate as well. 
because there's times that God's gonna lead us individually to a certain place and serving him may be going to a prayer closet. Serving him may be just going and ministering to him in that quiet place. It may be going to, to someone that, that is on your heart that, that has a need because Jesus said whatever you do to the least of these, okay, think about this in the scripture. Whatever you do to the least of these, and the least of these are those that are hungry, that are thirsty, that are strangers, that are naked, that are sick, that are in prison. Whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Isn't that where Jesus is? Jesus is calling us to go where he is and to minister and to touch and allow his life to flow through us. This requires dying to myself. It requires not focusing on the temporal, but focusing on the eternal. What an invitation that I can serve with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's not in my power, it's not in my strength, it's in his spirit that lives within me as I continue to die to self and allow his spirit to put to death this flesh so that his spirit can grow and can flow and can move through me. And what happens is that your life, which is a seed, becomes a plant. And your life that is a plant produces fruit. And that fruit has many seeds. And then the kingdom of God explodes. That's the way, that's why we're here today is because this has happened throughout history when the church was birthed. And it's still happening today. And God wants to say, man, I'll tell you what, let it happen more. Let it happen more. It's simple, but it's not easy. But it's simple. It comes down to this. It's like, well, I just lay my life on the altar. I just say, God, here I am. Whatever you want. Why are we so afraid when we say those words? We shouldn't be because whatever he has for us is better than what we have for ourselves. It really comes down to that, that thing of just laying ourselves on the altar. And as I was thinking about this, I really believe that when we get to the, and this is my belief, that when we come to the end of our lives, whenever that is, we don't know when that is. Our times are in his hands. But whenever we come to the end of our lives, I really think our regrets in life will be where we failed to die to self. I think it'll be, our regrets will be where we embrace this temporary life instead of longing for the eternal. I believe our regrets are gonna be where we failed to follow Jesus and to serve him. And you know what? God wants to minimize the regrets in our lives. His Holy Spirit is alive and wants to just flow in us and through us in ways that we're finding the joy, that freedom, the deliverance that, that he has for us, which is so much better than freedom from Roman rule. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from the bondage of sin. It's freedom from those things that would entangle us and it's being released into life that brings more life. Do you know the potential of Christ in you? Do you know what the Spirit of God is desiring in and through you. It's far beyond what we can comprehend and the goal is his glory. This hour, may he be glorified. This day, in this moment, may, may he be glorified. So we're gonna sing a song and this song is painful. Ready to sing? <laughs> the song is Refiner. And I really felt we needed to wrap up the service. And this isn't a, an ending, this is a transition. So in this time, we are now transitioning from what God has spoken to us into living the rest of this day. We're transitioning from what the Holy Spirit is depositing within us, allowing that seed to take root in us so that our lives look differently this week, okay? So this time, this song is this transition from truth into life, okay? So what I wanna invite you to do is to follow the Lord's leading. You know, he knows you, he knows exactly where you're at, he knows everything about you, and he loves you more than we can comprehend, and he wants to this morning impart life as you receive him as the king that he is. So this song is really literally saying, God, burn the, the things in me up, burn it up that what's not of you, consume me, let me be a sacrifice for your glory and for your honor. So I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pray for the miraculous to happen right now in our lives. I didn't say your lives, our lives. 
And as we sing this song, I want you to respond. I'm not going to ask you to stand when we sing. I want you to just follow the Lord. God may just have you stay seated. He may have you go flat on your face. He may have you come to the front. I'm going to ask those that, that uh, serve at the front in prayer, if you would come as the song begins, if, some, if you want, want somebody to pray with you, there'll be people here to pray with you. But I just want you to, to respond to him. Allow his word to take root. Find the life, discover the life that he has for you. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you. God, that you are here. Jesus, thank you that you have given your life. You have gone before us. You are that seed that was planted in the ground and you have risen again and we are fruit and you desire for much fruit to be born in our lives. But that process is through us dying to self. That process is through us not focusing on what is temporal but on what is eternal. That process is serving where you are. So Jesus, right now, like, just do what you wanna do in each one of us. God, help us to hear your word. Give us the gift of faith to trust you and may we obey and respond in the way that you desire for your honor and for your glory. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.